That's great. Terrific. For those of you who are joining us through Church at Home, we want to say, hey, good morning to you. We're glad that you're here. We're excited that you're here. So let's all, whether we're here on campus or Church at Home, grab our Bibles, our devices. Today, it's the book of 1 Peter again. Today, chapter 3, as we work through this series we called Exiles. I want to say that thank you for those of you that are returning to on-campus worship also. We're thrilled to see you, some of you today, for the first time I've met you since our um, quarantine, our close down for COVID last year. So I want to say thank you. A special welcome, a special welcome to Cynthia Wilson. We call her Mima, and uh, she is one of our more seasoned attenders. I can say that right and get by with that. And so Mima, I love you. I see you back there and your beautiful smile. So thank you for being here today, and we're so thankful for you. So let's get right into our study this morning as we talk about this thought of Likewise, You say, Mark, that's a very strange topic to talk about. I know. Last week, Peter challenges us in some tough relationships of our lives. And so he challenges us in the area of, first, that of how we deal with those that have authority over us and how we deal with our government and leadership. And so what he says through this process is that we are to respond to leadership in a place of honor and respect And that is that we simply do that all in the light of who is ultimately in control. And that is God is ultimately in control of all things in this world. All life is lived through his hands. So we understand that we we respond through that of understanding God is ultimate authority. He has placed people in authority over us and respond. But that doesn't mean that we don't have a voice when it comes to injustice. It doesn't. It doesn't mean that we have to sit back on our hands and just simply allow people to be unfairly treated in our culture, that we have that ability to speak up with respect. And then he talks about that of those that are treated or those relationships when we are treated unfairly and unjustly. How do we respond? Because our response does matter. That's the big deal right here in the book of Peter, that our response does matter. So he says, in those moments in your life when you are treated unfairly and and unjustly, that you respond through that of honoring everyone, you respond through that of loving the brotherhood, fearing God, you have this respect for God because God is in control of all things, and you honor the emperor is what he told us last last week. So this is a powerful thing about how we respond to those things. But today, he's going to talk to us. We have locked the doors. We will not allow you out of this room, okay? We, no, I'm just kidding. That, that we're going to respond how you, we're going to talk to you about how you respond to your imperfect spouse. I heard one person excited. Woo! Yes! Their husband, I feel really bad for him right now. Yes, right? How do you respond? And I realize I'm in a mixed room. I understand that. Male, female, I, I got that one, right? But I understand I'm in a room where those of you that are single, married, there's some that are divorced and some that want to be divorced. And I realize that, right? And, 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 and so I understand that there's a lot of feelings when we talk about this today. Here's what I would caution you to do as we begin to move into this study together is simply open your hearts and minds. Open your hearts and minds. Put your pre-prescribed ideas to the side. Open your hearts and minds and allow the Holy Spirit to speak to you today about this relationship. So here's what Peter says in 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 1. I'm going to read these seven verses up front. Get them out. Okay, so here they are. Likewise, wives, be subject to your own husbands. I pause for the heir to return to the room. Okay, yes. Okay, here it is. So that even if some do not obey the word, 
they may be won without a word by the conduct of their wives. When they see your respectful and pure conduct, do not let your adorning be external, the braiding uh, of hair and the putting on of gold jewelry or the clothing you wear, but let your adorning be the hidden person of the heart with the imperishable beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit, which in God's sight is very precious. For this is how the holy women who hoped in God used to adorn themselves by submitting to their own husbands. As Sarah obeyed Abraham, calling him Lord. I pause for a moment for the air to come back in the room. Men, do not use that scripture. It is extremely dangerous for you unless you really know what it means. Okay? Understand that. And you are her children if you do good and do not fear anything that is frightening. Likewise, husbands, live with your wives in an understanding way. Peter redeems himself. You know, showing honor to the woman as the weaker vessel, a moment to allow air to come back in the room, okay? Yes, since they are heirs with you of the grace of life so that your prayers may not be hindered. Likewise, he's saying to us that of all the things I've said to you in chapter two, I want to continue in this thought about how you approach life, how you deal with those moments in your life When you are treated unfairly and unjustly, what do you do? How do you respond? And then the great cost at your response is what he says. So here's what he says in 1 Peter 2, verse 21. For to this you have been called, is what he says. For to this you have been called. Because Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example, so that you might follow in his steps. He committed no sin, neither was deceit found in his mouth, When he was reviled, he did not revile and return. And when he suffered, he did not threaten, but continued entrusting himself to him who judges justly. He himself bore our sins in his body on the tree that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. By his wounds, you have been healed. For to this you have been called, he said. So, Mark, what are you doing? Are you equating marriage to crucifixion? And so many things think, well, it's close. No, that's not what he's talking about. That's not, that's not it at all. It's how Christ conducts himself when he suffers. It's how he responds when he is unjustly treated is the point here. Because in our relationships as imperfect, sinful creatures that there is going to be frustration in our marriages. There is going to be those moments when we do not agree on things. There is going to be those moments when we will treat each other unjustly and unfairly. It's going to happen because anytime you put two sinners in close proximity to one another, something is going to go down, right? Isn't that true? Yes, it is going to happen. So this is why Peter writes these words to you and I. But the greater point here in this text that we just read is how Jesus responds to those moments. That's it. It's how he responds to those moments in his life. And when I begin to look at this, what I realize is this. He's extremely patient in those moments of of this redemptive work in our lives. He trusts God who judges justly, that God is ultimately in control of all things. And so he knows that. He continues to show good and do good when goodness is not shown to him is what he does. And through his wounds, the world was healed. And that means that even through these moments of my life, even through these moments when I feel like that I am being treated unjustly, 
that God even uses those moments for the gospel to be made known in the lives of others, for Christ to be known, even known through my life, even when I'm struggling. So how do we navigate this relationship with an imperfect spouse? Well, I think, first of all, we have to understand a couple of things. One, who is Paul writing to? And two, what is Paul assuming about the audience that he's writing to? First of all, he's writing to these Christians that are scattered all over these provinces of Rome, and they're scattered in these small pockets. So they're surrounded. They're surrounded by unbelievers is what they are. So their culture is many times hostile to their faith, and it's hostile to their relationship and to their marriages. It is. So that's who he's writing to. And so he's saying to them, simply, it is important how you respond in those moments as believers, he's responding. I think he's also assuming that many of the couples that he's writing to, that these are women that are married to non-Christian men. And, and we know historically that many of the marriages in that time were simply arranged marriages. So that's very possible. And many times that conversion was a later experience in some of the women's life and the man was not converted. So that's where they are. But I think for some, also, it's where the woman finds herself filling the role in the vacuum of a man being a spiritual leader in the home. Oh, can I get an amen? So we move on from that, right? Yes. And so they're stepping into those roles. And and because of that, there's unmet expectations. And when there's unmet expectations in a relationship, then there's going to be some anger and bitterness in, in that relationship. And so Peter says it's important how you react in those moments in your relationship because you're making Christ known in those moments. Wow, it's big, it's heavy. It really is. Read verse 1 again with me. Likewise, wives, be subject to your own husbands. I love the thing where he puts the word own in there, you know, to make sure that you got the right one that you're being subject to, right? Yeah. <laughs> Well, we could preach that one, couldn't we? So we move on. So that even if some do not obey the word, they may be won without a word by the conduct by their wives. To be subject to, it's a huge topic. When Peter uses it here, he's referring back to the book of Genesis. And you know my love for the book of Genesis. He's referring back to Genesis chapter 3 and verse 16. After the initial sin, God meets with Adam and Eve, and he begins to say them, well, he says to Eve here, he said, because of the sin in the world, that your pain in childbirth will be increased, is what he says. And on top of that, the rule or the rule of the husband will be over you. The word rule there means dominion. It's the same word that is used by a king that reigns over his his subjects. Men, don't use that either. Okay, that does not work for you. Understand that. Because verse 15 prior to that, he gives us a promise. God gives us a promise that at an appointed time, he would send someone in the flesh who would fix the brokenness of mankind and the brokenness of our world. And so he does that. And, and so... So what he does is that things change when Jesus shows up in the world. It does. Things change by the death and the resurrection of Christ. It does. Yes, things change between God and us. 
change things between men, things change between men and women in the marriage relationship. Paul writes to us who's never been married before. So we know this is God's word. In Galatians 3 and 28, there is neither Jew nor Greek. There is neither slave nor free. There is, ne- there is no male or female. For you are all in Christ Jesus. It's amazing that after that of the coming of Christ, things change in our relationship. It does. 1 Corinthians 7 and 3, the husband should give to his wife his conjugal or her conjugal rights. You know what that means, right? Men, some of you are thinking, this is the text I've been looking for, right? Yes. No, it's not. It's not. Understand that. No. And it says, and likewise, the wife, here's what's really important. Because the, likewise, the wife to her husband, for the wife does not have authority over her own body, but the husband does. Likewise, the husband does have authority over his, does not have authority over his own body, but the wife does. It's about intimacy and an intimacy that transitions sexual intimacy. Can I get an amen? Okay, thank you. Very good. We're on the same page here today. Yes. Oh, 1 Corinthians eleven eleven. Can I give you another one? Here it is, nevertheless, in the Lord, woman is not independent of man, nor man of woman. That things change. Things have changed. The effects of the fall in Genesis has undone to an extent that of that of the curse of sin within our lives. And we know the culmination of all that, the completion of our redemption, is at the second return of the advent of Christ. It is. But this does not eliminate the power of being subject to one another. In fact, it enhances it exponentially how you and I become subject to one another. Why? Because we now willfully become subject to one another through honor and respect and the fear of God that judges us justly by by our behavior Because we are free. We are now free to submit to one another through Christ. And I love that. That we submit to one another through Christ. Yes. So when I look at this, what do I do with this freedom? That God has given me this freedom in redemption. So what do I do with this when it comes to my relationship with my wife? Listen, it's a strategy for making my faith known is what it is. He said in that first verse that they are one without a word. And what I realize is that people are not one to Christ by words alone. It's not. Peter has always focused from the very beginning of our study on our behavior. It's how we act in this life. It's how you and I respond to those moments in our life that are tough. Those unfair and unjust moments of my life. And what I realize is this. I cannot emulate the behavior of the world and expect Christ to be known through my life. It's how I live. And it's how I live in subjection to Christ. And from that subjection of Christ being the total authority of my life, that I subject my life and I subject my life to my wife in this relationship. And she does the same with me. A Christ-like life is marked by submission. It is. Now, I say something to you for a moment. And and you have to hear this before we go any further. When I say submission and subjection, they're not absolute. Understand that. That you don't submit or subject yourself to anything that would go against a command of God. And that's important for you to understand that. And then secondly is this. 
that this is not about you remaining in an abusive relationship. It's not. That if you are living in an abusive relationship today, then here is the thing you should do. Go to a safe place. Talk to one of our staff members before you leave today. Call an abuse hotline. Let us help you to get you to a safe place in your life. Because it's not Christ-like for you to remain in an abusive environment. And I want you to understand that. That's okay. That's okay. Because I think that if you read, if you if we listen and read this without understanding that, then then we have read into something that's not here in the heart of Peter, in the heart of God for you and I to understand. But what I realize that I now submit my life to my wife, and she submits her life to me now in clear view of the absolute authority of God in both of our lives. And so with this new freedom, we willfully submit ourselves to one another in Christ. I love that. Because what it says to me is this, that my life as an exile in this world is not predominantly and primarily focused upon me. It's not. It's not about me being fulfilled by trying to be happy all the time or make myself happy or doing things that make me happy. That's not it at all. No, it's not about what I call mystic Christianity, which we see all over social media today about, oh, you're, you're enough within yourself. And all you got to do is just find that, 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 that self within inside of you and it fulfills you. And what I realize is this, that I am never enough in my life without Christ within me, that Christ is the only one that makes me enough. He's the only one that makes me enough. That I can never find that within myself. So he gives us this model toward fulfillment in 1 Peter. And here's what he says in 1 Peter chapter 2 and verse 23. Because remember the word likewise. So these are all connected. When he was reviled, he did not revile in return. And when he suffered, he did not threaten, but continued to entrusting himself to him who judges justly. That what I realize that the liberation that I desire for my life and the freedom that I desire for my life comes from this mighty giving up power that God has given me that I subject myself to my mate, to my spouse, and, and I don't view that as simply bondage within my life, but it's truly the path of freedom. It's the path to freedom for me as a believer. That our, our lives as Christ are, are marked by giving up. And I know that's so contrary to what we hear in so many places in our lives, but it is. It's not an act of me demanding. It's not that I care for others. It's it's how I treat my brother. It's how I love people around me. It's how I respond to my wife when when I feel like that, you know, maybe I'm I'm being unjustly treated or she responds to me when she feels the same for me it's that response that makes christ known it doesn't mean that i can't be honest we talked about this last week go back and listen to last week if you want that we have a voice against injustice yes that we can do that but we always speak those words in honor and we speak those words in respect and we speak those things in love and we speak those things in light of an understanding it is god who judges all of us justly in this world according to our works. 
<sighs> Breathe for a moment, yeah? Because this is heavy stuff. Verse 16 of chapter 2 says, Live as people who are free, not using your freedom as a cover-up for evil, but living as servants of God. I think it's knowing in who we are. Peter said, hey, understand the cost for your life as being redeemed. And it's a great cost, and you should never take those things for granted in your life. And also realize who you belong to, that you belong to Christ and you no longer belong to yourself. So you are living today as being under new management. He is the authority of your life. And so what the reality is, I have been freed to serve another, but I actually add something else to to that. I've been freed to serve another and I've been freed to serve one another. I have. It's about making him known in this world. Through how I respond to you in my behavior. And it's about my behavior in the most emotionally charged relationship that I have on this planet. And that's my marriage. So I realize that this text seems like a minefield, right? And there's so many things that you could touch on in here that somewhat are explosive in all of our lives. Can I deal with verse 7 with you for a moment? And then we'll come back and fill in. Because I think verse 7 is something that you probably want to hear. Because, well, let me read it to you. Likewise, husbands, for the men in the room, live with your wives in an understanding way, showing honor to the woman. Oh, the women are really great with that. Yes, as the weaker vessel, then that just just bombed and crashed, right? Yes, to, to some extent. And, and what does he mean? But then he redeems himself by saying, since they are heirs with you of the grace of life so that your prayers may not be hindered. What does he mean when he says the weaker vessel? Because I want to talk about it. I think it's important that we have an understanding of that text this morning. Because what we have is we have this picture of people living in a world that can be very hostile to their faith and hostile to their relationships. We have a picture that's painted with a brush of honor and respect and love and living in the fear of God who judges us all justly. And here's what Peter is saying. That both men and women, both men and women have, I call it muscle. They have influence in their relationship. Both men and women have that. They do. We have differing roles in our relationships as husbands and wives. We do. And I'm not, I can't go through all of this uh, and completely cover every point of, of all of a marriage relationship. So we'll do that at another time. We will. So that's for another sermon together. But the point about this text is this. The point is not how or the point is not who has who has more power, but simply the point is how that power and influence is being used in the relationship. That's the point. The point is not who has the most power, but the point is how that power and influence is being used in the relationship as in the confines of marriage is what it is. Does that does that model the example that Peter gives us through Christ? Does it? So, Mark, I'm still wondering why he uses the weaker vessel thing here. I'm still wanting to know that. Well, I began to think about that a lot and thought through the whole week about it. And so I can't make some some actually all-encompassing statements to you about these thoughts that I have. But I will give you a few as to why he uses that term. I think, one, it's about physicality. It really is. It's about physicality. That that men, for the most part, and I realize there are exceptions you understand this, right? I've been to the gym. 
I know that there are exceptions, right? I've been on the weight bench and somebody says to me, excuse me, can I use that? And I look up and I say, yes, ma'am, you can use it anytime you want, right? I'll be glad to put weights on for you if I can lift them, you know, kind of deal, right? So, so I realize there are exceptions. Yes, but men are for the most part physically stronger than women and they're more powerful physicality-wise than women. That does not make me a sexist. And that's not a misogynistic statement. It just makes me a realist, okay? It, it, it just does. And, and so there it is. And, you know, enjoy that one for a while. The, the other thing is that there is a cultural relevance for us here. And, and because Peter is so culturally relevant in his writings for you and I. And when I read this, I realized that, well, these are pockets of believers living under Roman law. And so Roman law simply oversees their marriages. And in Roman law, women have very little, if any, protection when it comes to marriage. They really do. There is nothing that protects them. Men and Roman law can have as many affairs as they they want. In fact, it encourages them to have mistresses. But yet, if a woman has an affair under Roman law, she's put to death. Much like if I have one, I will be put to death by Reba. Okay, so (laughs) true. Yeah, she's looking at me true. Okay, okay, the reality of that. Okay, here's the thing. I need to move on. Yes, yes. Men, men can divorce their wife under Roman law for any reason. Yes. If you cook meatloaf one night and they don't like meatloaf, you're done the next morning. And that's reality. That's the way they live. And I thought Paul is writing this to people that live under that kind of pressure. I thought it's amazing. All the chattel property belonged to the women. The house, the AD 60 new donkey that's parked in the garage. It belongs to him. All the children belong to him. Some women say that's not a bad idea, right? You know, most women, and when they're divorced in this culture, they become prostitutes and beggars because there's no other way for them to earn any kind of income. It's a terrible situation. They're legally weaker in light of the laws they live under. And I framed all of what Peter is saying in that. Can you imagine? The first audience that heard these words living under this kind of law. But there's a third one. It's not in your notes if you have notes. Why? I wasn't man enough to put it in there. Yeah, I didn't want any writing. No. (laughs) Just teasing. It's sensitivity. Hang on. Wait, just don't go wild with that for a moment. It's not. Uh, Because, you know, what I realize when I read these verses, it's about men having having a very deep knowledge, a personal knowledge of their wives and not just a theoretical understanding of their wives. Can I tell you, there are a lot of men in this world that have nothing but a theoretical understanding of their wife. And I tell you, that's a sad thing. That your relationship has not grown beyond that. I encourage you to go to a seminar, to read a book, to get into something that grows your relationship so you really know that person that you're spending your life with. That is absolutely important. And what I realize as I know my wife so well now for 42 years, that, that 
women are more emotionally sensitive than men. Now, don't go sideways with the word emotionally for me for a moment, okay? Because what I realize about my wife in that area is that she is more passion, compassionate than I am. Not passionate, maybe I am. No, anyway, but she is more com- compassionate than I am, right? True. Yes, when my boys were hurt when they were little, you know, and, and, and they, were, they were hurt, they would come in the house and they're standing there and there's a puddle of blood on the floor. You know, what do I say? Any bones sticking out the leg? No, no bones dead. You know, fine. Is your breathing restricted? No, my breathing's not restricted. Well, get outside and play. You're all good. You know, everything is fine. Mom's like, no, they have to have some stitches. They have to be taken to the hospital, you know, kind of thing. So what I realize is that, no, there is a great... And then when I understand my wife, man, she is so much more spiritually sensitive than I am. She is. Boy, she, she sees into the hearts and the lives of people when I don't see them. And I've learned from making some huge mistakes in this life by not listening to that insight and that, and that boy, that discernment that she has in the lives of others. But here's what I want to say to you. Having sensitivity as a woman does not make you as a woman inferior to anyone, especially men. It does not. It doesn't. So here's the thought. Which is more powerful? Let's look at a little survey. I've still got a lot to preach on, so I've got to hurry, you know? I really do, because we had graduates at the end today, which is exciting. So which is more powerful to you this morning? A crowbar, okay, or a thermometer? I do realize that this is a meat thermometer, and we have never used this on Grayson, okay? Understand that, right? We have, because <laughs> it does have a point at the end of it, right? Yes. And anyway, we'll move on from that. So, which is more powerful? How many of you say the crowbar is more powerful? Let me see the crowbar people in the room. Okay, that's good. Uh, let me see. How many of you say the thermometer is more powerful in the room? Ah, very good point. Here's the point. Here's the thought. When it comes to the issue of sensitivity, which is more powerful? The thermometer, why? Because the thermometer is the device that can determine how sick you are. Thermometer is the device that can say what your temperature is that could save your life, correct? Yes. I mean, can you imagine that you have kids at home, you know, and maybe you have a two-level house and the kids are upstairs. It's a school morning. And you're downstairs getting everything ready. And all of a sudden you hear from upstairs, Ma, can't go to school today. I have a fever. And then Ma says, okay, honey, no worries. Let me come. I'll check on you in a moment. Let me go get the crowbar, right? Yes, yes. And all of a sudden you hear from upstairs, Ma, I've been healed. Jesus is in the room. Everything is good. Don't come, right? Yes, yes. What I realize is that God has wired us so differently as men and women. Yes, we are. And that's a wonderful thing. But these differences doesn't make you as a woman inferior. Because Peter says that we are heirs of the grace of life. We are. Absolutely. That 
that men and women, what he's saying is whatever power and whatever authority that you bring into the relationship, it should never be used outside the confines of honor and respect and love and the fear of God who judges us all accordingly to our actions. Wow. That's huge. That's huge for all of us in this room. Look at verse 2. When they see your respectful and pure conduct, do not let your adorning be external, the braiding of hair and the putting on of gold jewelry or the clothing you wear. But let your adorning be the hidden person of the heart, the imperishable beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit, which in God's sight is very precious. For this is how the holy women who hoped in God used to adorn themselves by submitting to their own husbands as Sarah obeyed Abraham, calling him Lord, lowercase l, that he, she followed him. And you are her children, Peter says, if you do good and do not fear anything that is frightening. The hidden place of your heart. Wow. Peter is writing to a culture that is extremely outwardly driven. They're, they're outwardly beauty driven as a culture that they're living in. So, yes, it is true. So it's not, but he's not suggesting that you can, you can only dress like you're a character from Little House on the Prairie and that's it, right? That's not what he's saying, okay? And I know that dates me. If you don't know what that is, Google it, okay? I understand, but, but this is, yes. But our lives as Christians characterize what he says here, purity and reverence. Purity has to do with sexuality, Every bit of it has to do, yes, with sexuality. Reverence has to do with how we see God as God being in control. He is the foremost authority of our life. And from that comes my desire to follow him and to keep his commandments. And I don't keep those things out of fear, but now I keep them out of love because that's one of the things that the redemptive work of Christ on the cross changed in this world, not just our relationships, but the fuel for my obedience in my life. And then Peter takes a moment to, well, he takes a moment to condemn vanity. Vanity at the expense of caring and submitting to one another. For here's what he says. Outward beauty is secondary to the beauty of character in your life. That outward beauty is secondary to the beauty of character in your life. Oh, you know what frightens me in our culture? A lot of things, right? What frightens me is how young girls are so influenced by our culture to where their values and their worth And what they perceive as power comes from their outward beauty. That we're we're kind of taught in our culture that a woman with great outward beauty physically, she'll have the power to get whatever she wants in society and culture. And what Peter says is, no, stop. Stop a minute. You may live in that culture, but you're not of this culture. That you are exiles. Understand that. So stop. Because it's not about what the world values. Because what God values is important. And that should look very different than what the world values in in the culture that you live in. So what is valuable to God? Verse 4. But let your adorning be the hidden person of the heart with the imperishable beauty. That other beauties will fade away. 
but the imperishable beauty of a gentle and a quiet spirit, which in God's sight is very precious. So, Mark, I'm confused. So what are you saying? I have to be that quiet little woman who fades into the background and she never opens her mouth unless she's spoken to and allows everyone to run them over. And can I tell you, that's a huge no. That's a huge no. Peter is not talking about you being an introvert or an extrovert. It's not that at all. It's not what he's saying. But it's the spirit that's resident in your life. It's the spirit of peace and a spirit of trust. And this goes for men too. It's a spirit of confidence in who you are in the Lord, that he is the ultimate authority of your life. And whatever power and authority that you might have is never used to manipulate and it's never used to control, especially your spouse. Because your life is marked in full trust of God. It is. Oh, that I should live my life and you should live your life as a woman, that you should live your life much more concerned about what God thinks of you than what you can get for yourself. It's true. It's true. That how you are Christ-like, how you are Christ-like is much more important than your Versace purse. It really is. And I don't know what a Versace purse is. I don't really. I looked it up online. I looked up most expensive purses, and that's what it told me so that I use that. Yes. If you have one, wonderful. Great. Terrific. But your Christ-likeness should be much more important than that in your life. Is what I'm saying to you. Let's get real for a moment. Hannah, wherever you are, you better come, because if you don't, I'm going to keep talking. Absolutely, because there's so much here. Yes. If Peter were to write this today for us, June 2020, then here's what I think he would probably say to you and I, or say to you as women. He would probably say, hey, stop adorning yourselves with filtered Instagram photos and somehow think that that would fulfill you as a woman. And then you spend the next hours checking to see how many people like that and respond to you and you build your value on that. Only the presence of Christ in character in our lives brings fulfillment. So I will say this to those of you in the room this morning that are single, specifically to all the single women in the room today. I would say this to you. If you're dating a guy, are you looking for a guy? All right. And he has not fallen in love with your character, then you do not need him in your life. I just strengthened a lot of relationships and ruined some, didn't I? It's okay. So I finished with this today. Why does Peter reference Sarah as he kind of draws all this together for you and I? And I thought about this a lot. Why does he reference Sarah? And I wrote in my journal... 
this week because she is married to a very imperfect man by the name of Abraham. That's what I thought, you know, that's a good reason. And I began to think about that. He lies about who she is to not just one king, but multiple kings, right? And tells them that she is his sister and not his wife because he's afraid. Yeah. As a woman, have you ever been desiring for your spouse to step up for you in a situation and they folded? You know how that feels? That's Sarah. That's her. And when I read this, I thought, she honors and she respects and she loves him all in the fear of God. She commits him and herself to God. She follows his lead. And the end result, Peter says, that she does not fear anything that's frightening because her trust and confidence is in God. And from that comes her honor and respect and love for her husband, even when he falls under pressure. You are her daughters. You're her daughters. That's what Peter says. In light of what God has done in your life, in light of who you are in him, you are his daughters. Your response in the most emotionally charged relationship of your life, your marriage, does matter. It matters. Husbands, honor her, respect her, love her, care for her. You may be the leader, spiritual leader of your home, but you lead as Christ led, and that is Christ served us and others. And you serve her. And through that, Christ will be made known. And women, when he falls, show him grace. Show him grace. Because Christ showed you grace. And men, when there are unmet expectations, you show grace and love. Because the ultimate here is not that your marriage is eternal. But the eternal aspect is that you are making Christ known to others around you. And that is the eternity of it. That's it. That's what it's about. So for a moment, would you bow your heads and let me pray with you and for you for a moment. Father, these words today that you've given us are challenging. They challenge us in an area of our life 
God, that for some in this room, Lord, you know, can be very painful. And God, for some in this room, that, God, you you know where they are and that relationship is over and they've moved on into the future. So, God, this is hope for a future relationship. But, God, our behavior matters. And we can't say, Father, in standing before you, that we did your work outside the home in our job or other places. But, God, we didn't do your work in our home and our relationship with our spouse. So, Father, where we have failed, cover that with your grace, which you have. God, where we have fallen short to realize that the guilt that we feel in life is from the enemy. You convict us, yes, but the guilt that we feel is from the enemy. So, God, we give that to you today, realizing that in you all things are new. Father, for marriages that are struggling this morning, I pray healing over them and wisdom that they will find help to strengthen their relationships. For Father, we realize that bitterness and anger never heal anything, but only grace and love. And that you have called us to. For this We are called, you said to us, Lord. So, Father, work in our relationships this morning. Today we send notice to the enemy of our life and our relationships. That we stand in you, God. We stand in you. And in you we take authority over him. That would tend to bring division among us. And God, we pray for grace and forgiveness and love to cover every person in this room today. And Father, we give you thanks. In your name we pray.